Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast and wishing you all a happy, peaceful and prosperous 2022. So today we have two guests for you. One of them, an old friend of ours in Joel Keyes. The other is Andrew Clark. Welcome to the Shared Ireland podcast, man. How are you keeping, Andrew? All the best. Happy to be here. And Joe? I'm good. Nice to see you again. Joel and Andrew, you both traditionally hail from the PUL community, uh, Protestant Unionist Loyalists. And I think it's fair to say one of you is now a firm supporter of constitutional change and the other is open and prepared to look at all options while still remaining a staunch unionist. Before we get into today's discussion, men, I'd like to say this to you, Joel Keyes. Since you appeared on our podcast a few months ago, the level of targeted abuse directed towards you by certain unelected, self-proclaimed gatekeepers of loyalism has been nothing short of disgraceful. And if we look at why this abuse has occurred, it gets even more bizarre. Because you, a young 20-year-old man, is prepared to look, talk, discuss and explore his future. Let that sink in for a moment. And I'm going to quote you here, Joe. Why would I, or loyalism, reject out of hand something before we've even had the chance to fully explore it? I don't mean to give your detractors another stick to beat you with here, Joe, but I genuinely applaud you. I think the PUL community needs more people like you, and we as a society, also need more people like you. Having a conversation doesn't erode or diminish anyone's values. In fact, the opposite. It informs our thinking. Anything to say, Joe? Yeah, I think, I think you know, you're absolutely right. Um, I, to me, I, I look at other countries and I go, you know, everyone has disagreements. Everyone has fundamental disagreements. But everyone else seems to be able to kind of talk them out. Uh, and I just wish here was a wee bit more like that and that you know we can all go into a civil arena um talk about things work them out maybe we walk out with changed minds maybe we walk out without changed minds i don't think it matters as much how the conversation ends i think what's important is that you're willing to participate in it well i'm just looking across the table here at andrew and he's nodding his head as was i and i'm sure all right-minded listeners um, will also be nodding their head in agreement with that. Mm-hmm. So, guys, um, to start off the conversation, Andrew, um, we always ask our guests to tell me a little bit about your upbringing, early years and background, just so it kind of informs people of who and um, what you are. Well, uh, come up there quite obvious. I come from a very, uh, I come from a very working class loyalist background. Uh, my mother would be from the Shankill. I would be from the Craigie direction and I suppose from a young age it didn't form as much of my identity as it was more just where I was from it didn't matter as much because it was kind of a bubble that I lived in I wasn't really politically aware from a young age but um, I became more aware of it as I went into school and hung around with people that had you know, the sort of opinions that aren't really formed by individual thought but just sort of you do what your parents do or what your community do and as I went through school with some of my friends and some of the things that, you know, the opinions they would have, it's 
more days you go to the poll, the election is something that happens. It's kind of a nuisance every 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 few years that you go to. And it was only really sort of around 2012, whenever the, the flag riots kicked off, I remember, was sort of this odd sort of turning point in my life when I found myself at odds at what all my friends were doing. I didn't really, not so much that I agreed or disagreed with it, but I just wasn't really sure of it and I didn't really know what we were all doing. And I mind my friends are saying, are you coming down with us? We're all going into Belfast here for the riots. And I thought I was a bit daft, but I said, no, I went home. And I think from there, I never really just fell in with that line of thinking or, or really I wasn't sure what I believed anymore what I really knew and I realised I didn't know anything so from there I started to, to get into history I would use my dad's books I would go out and buy books whenever I could and just read as much as I, as I read anything I could put my hands on and I think over time I realised that the history or the way I was taught history from a young age kind of went at odds with what I would find in books and it was almost through this lens of the normality was this Protestant sort of unionist, uh, this Protestant unionist lens on everything that you read and everything that happened. But I knew there was alternatives to that, and I just decided I wanted to know them myself. Andrew, I'm going to um, quiz you more about this in a little second, but thank you for that um, brief um, explanation of, of kind of who you are and what shaped your thinking. Joel, for the benefit of anyone that maybe didn't hear your first podcast with us a couple of months ago. Can you briefly explain um, who you are, your background and your upbringing? So it's interesting because, you know, a lot of what Andrew was saying uh, actually, you know, rung a bell in my head because that's kind of how I grew up for the first lot of years. I think where the separating point is, you know, I kind of, I see a lot of what Andrew is is, is talking about. I see a lot of people who, who maybe would agree that politics isn't something for them and that they're not really interested in it and and it's just amazing to me how, how similar what he's saying you know how much I see that within my own communities and and I think you know I think it's great that you've been able to, to look into it and, and form an opinion and now obviously you're you're a supporter of of United Ireland um, for me I think that, it, that it's a great shame um, that that someone like yourself didn't have that support network from our from our side of the community. I think it's a shame that whenever you know you have young loyalists who are maybe questioning their identity, who are uncertain whether or not they really care about things. Um, where I differ is I kind of take a more active. All right, well, I want to provide something for them. I I, I don't want to let these people down. Um, I don't want them to have to go and, and maybe like I would imagine. I, I don't know. I haven't spoke to you yet before today, but I would imagine you probably got a lot of crap for for your opinions now. Uh, maybe you even still do. I. A hundred percent. I think, as you say, it would have been, I think, brilliant if there was that sort of support network. I think my own journey was, I was essentially quite a lonely one in many ways for many years till I started really meeting people from across the way. But as you say, it would have been great to have any kind of support network because I think the reason that maybe you don't get as many um, people from working class loyalist areas making the shift that I did is because it's kind of so jarring and... There isn't really a welcoming committee so much as much as you have to prove yourself mm -hmm. whenever you're trying to change your opinion in such a big way. Yep. And, and especially to you, I mean, if you're going from someone who's a young age, doesn't care about politics, it's normal. Um, if you eventually get to an age where you do start to think about these things, I think where the other side of the community is very good is that they're able to quickly pick up on, you know, young people who are talented and who take an interest. And they're able to sort of bring them in and say, well, here's how you can kind of channel your, your talents for good. I think loyalism lacks that uh, a lot. 
unbelievably a lot and I think it's really uh, damaging to our cause and that's you know yesterday I yesterday the other day I'd, I'd put up that you know if you're over the age of 30 I, I do feel like you've you've kind of let our community down uh, and, and that might not be you know I'm not saying that everyone uh, was a complete failure I'm not saying that no one did anything useful for our communities of course there were, there were there's been plenty of things over the years that have been great I, th I think whatever my criticism is, is that support network you know there isn't that kids aren't sitting in school talking about how proud they are of their loyalist identities you know I, I grew up obviously what, what what do you do seven years of primary school seven years of high school do you know I knew like one other guy who, who who's like very into loyalism very active and involved and to me that's sad to me that's a failure on our part to me I want more people uh, I, I want to be able to encourage young people to take an interest and whenever people like yourself have questions like hang on I was taught this version of history um, and I'm reading this and it's not and it's kind of different or maybe it's it's not what I was led to believe why does loyalism not have have a network there where, where we can kind of come in and go all right well you're asking questions well here's some answers and, and it's not about lying and it's not about tricking but it's about having that support network where you could have maybe learned about all this like through a loyalist organization I think that something like that would have been would have been great I think it would have been uh, it would have put me on a very, maybe a very different path I think um, I, as I say my journey in the as as we use that word conversion isn't isn't so much just I flipped the switch one day and decided mm -hmm. against it I think it was a very gradual isolation from loyalism that mm -hmm. I think once you cross that bridge you find it very difficult to go back because I think in some ways for some people I think once I learn a few things and I gain this new perspective I find it hard to unlearn that again yeah I think especially as you say because so many within unionist and loyalist leadership make it so difficult for people either to move away from it or for new people to come in in my opinion it's near impossible I think to break that barrier without ignoring what some of these people elected or unelected keep saying or doing every week. Andrew just can I ask you about and that's a wonderful word that you used and one that I was actually going to use myself conversion from being born into the a PUL family and community and now why you are a firm pro-United Irelander. I guess I'm fascinated what it brought about this conversion and the process that actually went on in your own head. As I said a wee bit earlier, is, uh, a lot of it was learning history. I think uh, learning history outside of school because it was actually in between leaving school and going to university because I was out of education for a lot of years and mostly because I'd almost become disillusioned with learning history because I was when I was a teenager, most of what I could remember was the sort of major beats of history or your your home rule in your World War One, and that's about all that I could remember fondly only because it was done so well. There's obviously other aspects to it, but for the most part, I had no notion that there was any other history in Ulster than Unionist history. And again, whether I think it's in a combination to both the way it was taught and my own disinterest in it at the time, but. As I grew up and I started to learn more and more and I realised that how much history and heritage there is here shared by everyone, whether, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's two histories here, there's a lot more than two, I think, but I think as I learned the history and I learned different perspectives and I've met new people and I just realised that the, um, there's so much more than a binary of two sides and I definitely didn't feel like I belonged to the one I previously did and as I say, every week or every day I've seen, you know, senior loyalists, senior units would tweet or say or do something just felt like what are you doing I feel like if I was a young person in like a progressive circle or I was you know anyone at all if you're going to look at the two camps to join one seems to be screaming come join us and we'll accommodate you and one says you're with us or against us can I ask you where were you born again 
Uh, I was born, well, as far as I know, I was born in Belfast, but raised uh, sort of East Belfast in the Craigie area. <clears throat> okay, so that would be predominantly um, a Protestant Unionist Aye. area. Two questions. When you made this conversion and you publicly, um, you know, were vocal about it, what did your own family say to you? And secondly, what did members within your community and particularly your close friends say to you? Well, I think by the time I suppose uh, I was public about my conversion, so say, if it, it's, it was more of a kind of gradual descent that kind of grew. Um, my immediate family, you know, my mother and father had no problem with it. My mum is very into history and heritage as well. And, you know, she's much more uh, open-minded. It's very similar to Joel, actually. It's much more flexible on the position of constitutional change. And uh, I think that's shared by a lot of people, on either nationalist or unionist. Mm. And I think my immediate family, they moved us out of the city at one stage uh, whenever I was a teenager. And the friends I had in school who were all loyalists, every, every one of them that I was close with, I've more or less fell out of contact with them because for a while it was just sort of taboo. You don't really talk about it because it's politics and you're a young lad and if you're not into it, you're not into it. But there's other members of my family immediately. I see, I see Joel nodding his head. In the <laughs> <game with him. laughs> of course, I um, I think if you are into it and your friends are, they can be infuriating because you feel like you've so much you want to say and nobody wants to hear it from you. Mm. Um, now Joel's laughing. <laughs> I, th I think um, there are members of my family who... They were never hostile to me and they would never, you know, kick off about it. But there was always like wee jokes made and wee comments made. And it's sort of just, it's, it's, I wouldn't use the term as strong as black sheep, but it was sort of made to feel like a, oh, he's the wee Republican or he's the wee nationalist. He's just in a phase almost. And um, I, I don't speak to any of the fellas I used to run around with that were younger now, um, which is a shame to me because some of them, as I say, were dead on. But I just think over time, as that rift developed and they maybe got into sort of surface level politics and to see me now as incompatible with it so mm -hmm. as i say for me for me uh community and my friends and my family it's a mixed bag those closest to me were generally fine with it and in all honesty i think members of my family have either been brought on side or their minds have been opened but for a lot of them they just thought they didn't want anything to do with me because they wanted nothing to do with the, the question or the politics joel any comment on that it's just I'm I'm so glad that I've been able to speak to you because you're you're kind of just showing me that I'm not a unique case that the things that I experience are not unique to to me. It's not the area that I grew up in. It's not the the people that I associate with. Like like what you're saying is 100 percent right. And I think that, that what you're saying is the failure. That is the failure that your friends at a young age who you regret no longer knowing have lost you. You have lost a friend because of the culture that's been created. Um, that basically says if someone disagrees with you on on what flag they think should belong to this country, then they are, they need to be exiled. And I, I think that's bizarre. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a loyalist, as someone who wants to grow our cause and convince people that this will be better, not just for me, but for everyone. You know, I, I think some people, and maybe rightly so, I think some nationalists maybe have the view that loyalists want to be in the union because that's what's best for us. I think, you know, there are a lot of us who want to be in the union because we genuinely believe it's what's best for all of us. Uh, and I want to debate people who disagree with that. I want to say, well, if I think you're wrong, here's why I think you're wrong. What is your response to that? And the fact that the culture and the society ha has been allowed to kind of reach this point where it is so polarised, I think that like, that's the failure that I'm talking about. That's the failure that I'm referring to. So, just remind people, and I don't mean this to be patronising. Mm -hmm. What age are you again? 20. 
Andrew Clark, what age are you? Yeah, she's got 26. 26. So two young men with their lives in front of them, sitting. I, I'm, I'm actually sitting here kind of half speechless and I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I, I'm just pleasantly shocked, pleasantly amazed by how open, honest, articulate, and how passionate that you are about what? Your future and all our futures. Mm-hmm. And while the three people sitting around this table do not necessarily agree mm-hmm. 100% with each other's politics, but we can agree 90% that we all want what's best for society. Mm-hmm. Right. Disagreement should be looked at as opportunity. I mean, my biggest fear is having an opinion and no one disagreeing. Because then <laughs> you, you can't be wrong, because then the only things that you know are the things that you, you don't, I don't... Someone disagreeing is someone introducing new information to you. And, and that information will either strengthen your beliefs or prove them wrong. Why you would want to shut yourself off and, and just believe something regardless of any any other information that you might have missed, that's crazy to me. It's crazy. I think that's exactly... I couldn't agree more. I think even though today, you know, I would make a post something or say something that would be, you know, part of my, my own politics. And I think over the years, I've... I've changed things so many times. I think anyone who it's all part of being on the journey, Andrew. Anyone who has the same opinion for ten years, I think, with, with no shake or opinion that is, can't be shaken despite, despite meeting so many people, they're either delusional or a prophet. Or a genius. Ah, exactly. They're either a prophet or they're completely deluded because <laughs> um, it's it's mad. I think even through national, um, you know, becoming a nationalist and finding a different own opinions they've been changed that many times by both unionists and nationalists that I can find my own place within mm. the two. Joel, on Twitter recently you spoke of how unionists would have more representation in a United Ireland. Actually, I don't think it was maybe you that said that. It uh, was um, Ogre Sinfian or Mary Lou MacDonald. But you took their words and you posed that question to the Twitterati, yeah. for want of a better word. <laughs> um, do you think your views and the views of young people uh, within loyalism are represented in Stormont and Westminster currently? Now, there's three parts to this question. I'm just going to go on with the other two, yep. and you can come back and answer them in your own way. And part B is, do you think your community could be better served in an All-Ireland Parliament? And finally, what difference do you think this would make in terms of... Um, improving the well-being of people within your community. So, do I think unionists could be better represented in the United Ireland? Certainly could. Uh, it's a conversation that needs to ha- I don't think so. Uh, but not because, you know, I've heard the arguments and I've decided against it. It's because I don't think the case has been actually made. I don't think that anyone has come and said, well, here you go, here's what we're actually proposing, here's why. Here, yeah. Here's why um, you would be better served in our All-Ireland Parliament. Uh, And so I can't say that I think that we would be better off in one. What I can say is, like, I'm certainly willing to listen. Like, if someone comes to me with a proposal and and I can read this proposal and all of my uh, concerns are addressed and all of my worries are are sort of dealt with, I I don't think there's much point going much further than that because I don't know what would happen, but, but... I want I want to have that conversation. I want to know what it is that we're actually talking about, um, because can can you see yep. the merits 
of what Mary Lou and Ogre Sinn Féin said about you would have actually more representation. Oh yeah, and it doesn't matter whether or not what they're saying is true. This is the, the thing that's frustrating me because the, the response from loyalists seems to have been but we wouldn't get more representation in an All-Ireland Parliament. I am not stating that we would or that I believe we would. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. No one knows and that's the truth, even well, Sinn Féin. Well, well, well currently um, the UUP have no MPs in mm -hmm. Westminster and the DUP have seven. So, like, let's be honest, that's the level of national exactly. representation that unionism has within the whole entire Westminster government. And that is the point that I was trying to make, is that our representation at the minute isn't the best. Isn't the best, seven so, seats. So if they're <laughs> going to come along with, like, a solution to this maybe problem, <laughs> then we need to be ready to kind of have an answer for that. We need to provide a unionist solution to the, to the, to the worry, to the concern that we are underrepresented. Like that's the point that I was trying to make is that yes, maybe a United Ireland would be better for us, maybe not. I don't think so. Uh, Andrew, Andrew does. The point is we're not going to know until we have the conversation. Uh, and and nobody's proclaiming within this conversation today that we have the answers. Yeah. Either for yeah um, the, the benefits of remaining within the union or a new Ireland. 100%. We're not saying that. We're just trying to, I suppose, kickstart, continue yeah. the conversation make people more aware, get them to join in yep. the conversation and have it in a respectful, adult, grown-up fashion. Yep. Because if we don't, and this is the thing that loyalism needs to realise, if we don't, then in 10 years or in 20 years or maybe it'll be 50 or 100, th there will be a serious boiling point where the unionist community go, we have like no represent, we feel completely un unrepresented and, and Sinn Féin are the only one with a solution. So it's like, we're going to need to come up with our own solution to, to kind of fight against this argument whenever it arises, uh, if it becomes a crisis. I'd that, be curious to hear what... That that would be my genuine, and this doesn't come on me being patronising towards any particular side of the community, but like if all people don't get involved in this conversation, well then, what happens if the inevitable does happen? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, this 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 vision that, that unionism has been hoping this doomsday that would never arise. Actually, a border poll is called in the next 5, 10, as you say, Joe, 50, 100 years, whenever it is, mm -hmm. and that pro-United Islanders win this, well then, you're kind of left in a position where you have no stake in the conversation. Exactly. You know, and, and that's why I would urge everyone to come forward now, put forward your proposals, and, and let's build and shape an Ireland that we all can be proud of here, folks. Mm -hmm. And put away, you know, this whole imagery around flags and emblems and the past. While it is important because it's shaped who we are, but let's not get hung up on it moving forward. Mm -hmm. Do we honestly want to our children and grandchildren in 50 and 100 years to be sitting around the table that we're currently sitting mm -hmm. in having these divisive conversations? Exactly. I, think, I think the three of us can agree yeah. we don't. Yeah. So, so, like, why not get involved in this conversation, have your say, and, and let's start shaping our own future? Andrew? I think uh, what Joel said there and what you said there is exactly the point. Unionism right now it doesn't have great representation, if in some cases any. I think we saw the, the cases with the British government and with the Conservative Party in particular, that unionist representation in Westminster is generally a tool more than actual representation, and it rises and falls as it needs to. And I think surely you know, the argument would they be better represented in an All-Ireland Parliament it's you can kind of look at the Republic of Ireland and say, well, how well does Dublin represent everyone? And I think I have no love lost for 
you know, the idea of Westminster or Dublin being in charge of me and my neighbours, I think the idea should be what's best for our communities. And we can agree that neither Leinster House or Westminster have any love, love, love for us. And I think they can get away with it, that ignore us entirely. So I think... I think that's an important I mean, fact that you, that you reference Leinster House and Westminster, that neither of them oh, have any love for us. We're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, being in the six counties here. Mm-hmm. And I know this podcast is supposed to be about the whole island, and we try to do that, but I suppose because the three of us are born and from the north, oh, yeah. um, I suppose that's why we're tending to focus on it more. But I just loved that point, Andrew, that Leinster House or Westminster we're stuck in between both. Let's not. Sh- why not shape our own history here? Exactly. I think. Yeah. I think um, the the idea that you know when when you look at nationalist day, a lot of people, I think some unionist or lawyers, assume that if you're a nationalist or Republican, you love the Republic of Ireland and you love the Doyle. And likewise, if you're a unionist and you're lawyers, you love Westminster. But in reality, I don't think the case is true for either, and both are well aware. Yeah, because this yeah. past hundred years, from my perspective, from my community's perspective, is that we were left behind by the Dublin government. Exactly. Because they didn't stand up for our rights when we were persecuted here in our own country. You know, and that's coming from my... I don't expect Joel Keyes to be uh, agreeing <laughs> with that, or anybody else from his community. But that's my lived reality. You know, so, you know, this, this new... Ireland, whatever it's going to be, um, it has to be formed with a blank piece of paper. Exactly. It's Sinn Féin does not have the property rights to the stage of public debate. And this is the misconception that, that kind of holds us back, I feel. And I echo that, Joel. Sinn Féin do not own, and in fairness to Sinn Féin, they, they have never said that they oh, own the, yep. the whole narrative around um, uh, a United Ireland, because they certainly don't, and they'd be the first to say that. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, I am coming at this and the Shared Ireland team mm-hmm. is trying to develop and create and encourage people to to dare to dream. Yep. And, and, I'm, and I'm using that phrase from Reverend Karen, uh, where, where she first, um, I first heard her say it. And it, it fits this conversation beautifully. Dare to dream, mm-hmm. folks. You know, Joel, just want to have you there. Um, the assembly elections will be taking place um, later on this year. What are the main issues that will influence your vote? And just before you answer, and at this point, would you be willing to say which party you'll be voting for and why? For me, I I spend the vast majority of my time with my mates. And for me, the things that are important to them are important to me because they're important to me. Mm-hmm. And the things that are important to them pretty much do not exist in, in the public uh, conversation at the minute. So what I want to what I want to see is uh, a party or a representative or whatever it is come out and say, well, hang on, drug and alcohol abuse here's a real issue that's actually affecting people, and not just young people too, because I do want to get rid of one myth that that young loyalists are somehow unique to the rest of them too, because there is a lot of uh, like, do you know since the controversy how many uh, loyalists from my community have texted me or phoned me and told me that they completely disagree with the people trying to shut me up and to keep talking so so it actually isn't just young people that are open there's been a lot of people who are very willing to to listen and have these conversations Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just been my experience so drug and alcohol abuse isn't just an issue that affects young people so so it's not just a young person's issue it's everyone's issue so i want to see someone come out with that I think that our education system is fundamentally flawed. Now, yes, it might be better than other parts of the UK. It might be the best. I don't care. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to rate my education system compared to others. I want to rate it on its on its merits. And right now, I don't think it's working. 
Um, Give me an example of your lived experience, why you think it isn't what it should be. Now, well, I don't have all the answers, but here, here's how I know there's something wrong, for a fact. Two or three years ago, you know, I, I'd have been quite a judgmental person. I, I would have looked at groups of, of young lads, like the ones who I spent my time with, and I would have disgraced them. I would have said I want nothing to do with them. Uh, I would have thought it was better than them. And these are the people whose school tales are stupid. You can't pass your exams, you can't pass your, your maths and your English, so you're stupid. So, so you get pushed into tech or whatever it is. Um, not, not putting down people who choose to go that path, but I'm saying that they, these people are pushed into it. You know, they're kind of told, they're kind of set up to fail. Mm. Uh, and from speaking to them, from from I have become good friends with a lot of them, um, I can just tell how, how unbelievably clever some of them are. Uh, and now, you do have to spend a lot of time with some of them before you can start to see certain things. But to me, you know, you had 14 years in school. How was this not tapped into? How was this brilliance that I'm seeing in you not tapped into by our schools? Mm. And how was that not exploited for the benefit of everyone? Because some of these people are... And that's what it would be, you know. I think that's the point of school, is they exploit your strengths to try and make you into the best person that you are. Or, And I don't know. I, to, to me, that that's how you can know there's a difference. Whenever you know that this person is not stupid, yet they were rejected by our schools, there's something seriously wrong there. Okay, so you've given me the reasons that would potentially influence mm -hmm. your vote, Joe. What party will you be voting for? Or what candidate, even because they're, they're, I'm assuming they'll be independents, mm -hmm. and why? I know this is a personal question, but I know you won't be afraid to answer. <laughs> oh, it's a really, really tough one. Because, you know, I'm not someone who... who has ever appreciated as we say within our communities one two three dup <laughs> so it doesn't matter who's running the only thing that matters is the logo yeah. and who's actually putting it beside <laughs> yeah, and i've good. always been against that so i i truly am when the when the people start uh when everyone's announced and when i start seeing the manifestos that's that's whenever i'll decide but i'm going to push you here and the reason why i'm going to push you is because i appreciate what you say about reading manifestos mm -hmm. but let's be honest you know we kind of can all know Paper will take anything that's put on it. Mm -hmm. So while the words may be different this suppose, year, suppose. the parties fundamentally and their backgrounds will still remain the same. If, if, if somebody, I'm going to use a phrase here that I shouldn't, but it's the only one that springs to mind. If I put a gun to your head now <laughs> and ask you, to, ask you to choose, which one would it be? Don't be laughing, Andrew, because this question is coming to you next. <laughs> it, it would have to be, it would either be an independent or, you know, if I had to go with a party at the minute, the best one I can think of is probably the UUP. Okay, and I, I appreciate the complexity of mm -hmm. that question yeah. and your reasons for being hesitant. Yeah. Andrew, same question to you. The Assembly election will be taking place um, uh, a few months' time. What issues that will influence your vote? And uh, same question. That I asked to Joel at this point, would you be willing to state which party you'd be voting for and why? Uh, my vote was or is often up for grabs for its uh, progressive causes I, I look at. And I think, especially in nationalism, there is a thing with Sinn Fein and the SDLP recently where progressive causes have been championed and then left behind. And that is a major thing I do not like. And it's enough to lose my vote. I would lean, I think. Sinn Féin and the SDLP and the Alliance Party as well, and they would often bring forward something, for example, they'd bring forward uh, you know, 
reproductive autonomy legislation or you had the, the fox hunting ban there recently and I'm left perplexed to be honest why people I'm saying like why would you you and a lot of I, why would you campaign so hard for this <laughs> and then just assume that we're not going to notice when you don't follow through so I think when election time coming I'm going to look not only what they've done but what shape they seem to be taking if they're going to actually follow through in anything to say because I know they say that about all politicians but in particular ones in such a unique position to act on things and yet they don't ever manage to in terms of what party I'm leaning toward now I would lean likely toward either people before profit or for maybe the SDLP although I have a lot of problems with the SDLP uh, I would hate to say it sometimes the only the, the few times in my life that they call it tactical voting has come in and I, I hate the notion of it and I hate the thought of voting for someone out of a disdain for someone else it, yeah, exactly. it leaves a bad yeah. taste in my mouth yeah. and I would always find it very difficult to vote for a unionist party, but in all honesty, if there is no nationalist party ever willing to act on a progressive cause, I could nearly be convinced. But as I say, while it might not make me a unionist, my vote is the one to grab because as far as I can see, Sinn Féin and the SDLP have a lot of work to do to, to convince not only their voters, but nationalists in general, that they're not just hot air, to be honest. Listen, guys, I found um, both your answers fascinating. Genuinely did. Again, question for you both here, and I appreciate I'm going to ask both of you here to go against your grain, probably, and go with me on a little journey. But uh, because I, I, I kind of get a, a sense of both your characters here, I know you, you will um, definitely do this. Um, as two young people from a unionist background, what do you think are the main arguments for staying in the union? And also, what are the main arguments for Irish Unity slash a new shared Ireland. So let me see. Joel, convince me of the benefits of Irish Unity. Convince you of the benefits of Irish Unity. I suppose for for me, for Irish Unity to come about, we would have all had to have had a vote on it. So I suppose one of the good things that it finally put an end to, to the whole debate. Um <laughs> As a unionist, it's hard to say that, but you know, I think people are quite fatigued over this whole thing. And I think that there'd be a lot of people on both sides who, regardless of what happens, see if there was just a decision, like a final decision, I think a lot of people would sigh a sigh of relief. So, so for me, like, that would probably be. That would be a big thing. You know, if. Give, if, give me something tangible. I think it. it, it I'll preface this by saying I'm not saying that I want the United Ireland, but I will say it does you're, you're kind of excite me. me. Yes, 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 of course. But it does excite me that... I'll phrase it like this. Imagine someone come up to you and handed you a blank book and said the entire history of your country, you can rewrite it and you can kind of form a new form of government and how you want to go forward you can structure it how you like you can have a you can have social policies that you want you can have system you can like, do whatever you want I mean that's like a superpower you would you would kind of put that into the superpower superhero movie category so it does seem like a really exciting opportunity now whether it's not whether or not it's an opportunity I want to uh, commit to is a completely other story but I think see even for the most staunch loyalists who are who are absolutely never going to vote for United Ireland which I believe is their right completely fine I think even just as an interesting thought experiment it's nice to explore these things because it means that you can while while you're on that journey while you're talking about what a United Ireland might look like you might actually come up with something and you might go well here's something that's that seems really good and as a unionist I might look at that and go well hang on 
I actually don't need a United Ireland to implement. That yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So I think uh, you know, I, I would, I would certainly support the conversations around United Ireland because I think it could help us all. Um, but yeah, in terms of it actually being delivered for me as a unionist, unfortunately, I think the only the only thing I'd be happy with is that it had finally been put to an end. If you know what I mean, we could finally focus on other things. Joel, I really appreciate your honesty and I appreciate you being willing to go on that journey with me. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. I'm going to come back to you in a wee second yep. about the benefits of the union. Um, Andrew, I'm going to reverse the question. Sell me the benefits of the union, please. I think one of the main benefits of the union uh, generally is that there is a wealth of resources that are they could be using the one of the main ones people say is the NHS for example and people are very keen to say look the NHS is fantastic and I absolutely agree and that as I say I'm not really interested in any Ireland that doesn't have it but I think the main thing that there's so many resources there's so much potential investment and so much potential uh, benefit for communities from top to bottom that is there in the United Kingdom and I think the a good argument for unionism and for unionism to sort of reorganize and relook at how it does things is how can we better get that out of Britain to here? How can we coax some of that out? Because for all the, you know, the, the hot area here about how brilliant everything is and how much the UK has and the British government has this and that, but they don't seem very keen to use it for Northern Ireland. And I think for unionism, one big benefit of, you know, being a committed unionist and partaking in what I suppose you call union politics is trying to get that abundance of resources that, again, there's no shine away from it. The United Kingdom is not a tiny country. It has a lot of wealth to it and a lot to it. And there's a lot, there's a big pool there to draw from. And I think that part, partaking in it is well, something. Does that not further highlight the years of austerity that successive British governments basically um, have ignored us? So that there clearly is no uh, strategic or, or self interest in us any longer i think absolutely because as i say the nhs is one of the main arguments people bring up very often because it's tangible and it's an everyday thing and you hear nightmare stories from the republic of ireland about the healthcare system and i think i it's absolutely makes sense but one thing i will always say is that the nhs in northern ireland is it's, it's teetering it's not in good shape at all and that is due to how it's run from westminster and uh, partly also how it's due to run from here but I, I think it is a major thing that there's so many resources and so many brilliant people and such a pool to draw from for unionism and I think if unionism maybe focused more on that as opposed to combating this amorphous threat from either the south or from across the road in the nationalist community they do a lot better I think looking at things of how can we benefit from the union as opposed to how can we fight nationalists is maybe a, the path to take. Thanks for that Andrew. Just, I will actually just, just quickly agree on, on the on the NHS point because I, I don't think it's fantastic. I think the staff and the people who work there and the people who put in the work are, are amazing human beings. But the actual system, um, I, I know my granda had serious uh, side issues and you know he'd booked in for an NHS appointment and I think they give him like a two, it, it was years, like oh, he, it was oh. years waiting that he had to wait. So he ended up going private and after his operation, words can't describe how clear this guy's vision went you know he could, he could finally drive on the road and he didn't he didn't even know how bad his vision was until after he'd been seen yeah, yeah. Um, he, he said it was like a, a, a you know them wrappers that you get in candies that they're kind of see through yeah. it was like one of them had been over his eyes and it had been removed and to me the fact that we have a, a national health service is great the fact that it's uh, free at the point of use fantastic but we do have to whenever we're talking about how great it is I think it's important to kind of be critical as well because the whole point of 
being critical about something is to improve it. You know, it's not not the attack it. Um, and, and being critical of the NHS, it's not a, a, an insult to the staff that work there or the people that work long hours for for crap pay. You know, and of course they should be. Uh, you know, better rewarded for the for the effort that they put in, but the actual system of the NHS, uh, I, th I think, needs a lot of work before it's as, as great as people, uh, you know, say I, it is. I think you're right that the staff with the tools that they're being provided are doing yep. remarkable yep. things. Um, and but like just touching on what you said about your granddad there, Joe. Um, anyone with a mental health illness at the minute, and and you know, regardless of whether you're su actively suicidal, you're being referred for up to eighteen months to two years. Mm -hmm. And like the genuine question that I would pose to anyone, someone that is actively suicidal, and actively means that they're contemplating it now, have they the luxury to wait 18 months or two years? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. They don't. Yeah, and I think COVID has, has shown that uh, in times of crisis and emergency... Yeah, but also, it's Joe, just... let's not forget that the system was broke long before COVID. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew, sell me the benefits of United Ireland. Well, I think the main thing to remember here is that the United Ireland does not necessarily mean the Republic of Ireland plus six counties. And Very important distinction. Joel actually touched on one of my main arguments for it, and is that idea of the blank check. The idea that, look, we can build something much, much better, because in my opinion, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland have fallen far short of what anyone imagined either of them could be. I think a blank check and trying to build something new a better Ireland and a better society and the word New Ireland is bounced around like it's a trick or some sort of you know curtain behind which all the terrifying <laughs> nationalist plots are waiting but I, I think in reality I'm just yes, that image in <laughs> I think it's a it's just a case of the one of the main arguments you can change you can bring an end to you know the neglect that Northern Ireland has suffered all over the place and actually make a case for yourself not just as an you know, the the leftovers of a hundred years of partition history, but rather as actual communities and actual actual people trying to forge a, a place for themselves in the world. And I think a united Ireland puts it in a much better position and vitally ends... Tell me this, Andrew. Right. See the word, and Joel, I want to hear your opinion on this, the word united Ireland. Does that word have... To, does that create images of fear within your community, Joel? I, I, you know I think so, yeah, because, because I, I can't stress enough how big this mess can say. I don't think Republicans um, really understand and can grasp how big this misconception is. Generally speaking, in my experience when I've been speaking to them, loyalists totally believe that a united Ireland is just the annexation of the north end of the Republic. And and I'm fascinated by that. Who who created this this story this narrative? Because now, to be fair, you know, I think that's one half. The other half is is a misbelief that it will actually be a blank check. So it's an acknowledgement that yes, we are going to be going in with a blank check, but there's going to be all these things that, that basically all these little stickouts that that mm. that nationalists that will be having happen. that will be stuck there as soon as we sit round the table. <laughs> and, and maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. I certainly think that but, that concern comes no, from a good but, from a. But no, it's not true. Let me. Um reassure you oh, now. <laughs> 100%. I'm, I'm convinced that, 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 you know, it's a good faith conversation. I'm convinced yeah. that there are decent human beings out there, plenty more of them than, than sinister people who are secretly plotting the downfall of, of us unionists. Good. Um, but but I think I do, I do really, really understand the concern. 
and I don't think it's a it's a misfounded concern. I just think it's one that that has to be addressed. And it's one correctly. that has been built up by years and yep. years of our past history. Yeah. And it's one that I get, and I think all three of us uh-huh. get, and everybody listening to this podcast will yep. get. And I guess that's why I asked the question: Is terminology and language important? And the whole warden of of a new Ireland. Uh, for me is better than a united Ireland or a shared Ireland which we call ourselves because we're very conscious of of not just being pigeonholed if you you follow me I I think exactly that terminology is so important because as I say when even when I say united Ireland it does immediately even for myself as a nationalist it connotates the negative images that have been built up over time it is I I think Shared Island is one of my favourites. New Ireland is good, but as I say, it is bounced around a lot. It's the latest trick that we've pulled. And <laughs> I, I think generally the idea is just the, the thing I love about New Ireland is because it isn't necessarily the Republic of Ireland. It isn't, you know, anything that has necessarily existed before, which I think people think we're trying to go back to something or we're trying to, you know, reignite the flames of 1916 or something or, silly. Or, but, or as Joel I, said, you know, totally exclude unionism uh, yep. from, from this New Ireland. That's uh, not the case because a New Ireland can only be one where we all have a stake in it. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's what it is for me. Andrew, sorry, um, I kind of interrupted you there while you were in mid-flow of selling me the benefits of uh, United Ireland, but maybe you finished. Oh, no, as the main, as I say, the main issue was the, the ability to build something new. I think the Republic of Ireland, for all its problems at least, is bereft of some of the exploitation that the United Kingdom has in Northern Ireland. And I think the negligence would at least, we could face it head on, I think, easier with Dublin than we could now with London. I think it would be a lot easier to maybe rest or uh, wrestle our own, uh, not necessarily autonomy might not be the right word, but our own place rather than just somewhere for you know Westminster to send its washed up politicians to be Secretary of State every few months. Um, <laughs> okay. Joel, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity now because you so kindly went with me on the journey of selling me the benefits of United Ireland, New Ireland. Shared Ireland. Mm-hmm. So now sell me the benefits, the benefits even of remaining within the union, please. I think uh, you know, my argument would be, this is our place, our country, and it's our union, and we can. I would argue we we can, in theory, mould that union into whatever we want it to look like. And as someone who feels a strong connection to the union, I want to maintain that. I think everything that we're talking about with respect to like a, a new, uh, maybe a new government, maybe a new structure, I think all of that could be done within the union. So for me, the union provides benefits like being part of a strong economy, having the NHS, and, and that's all well and good. I don't like to hark on about the benefits because my point isn't uh, this is better than your idea. My point is... Your, your ideas can actually be... We, we can we can incorporate it all together in, into one thing. Here, here's an example. And I would love to put something to you and just ask what your reaction would be, Andrew. So, imagine a world in which Northern Ireland was to... And I'm just throwing this... I'm, just to preface... I am not saying I support any of this either. I'm just putting it out there to see what the reaction is. You're, ba- you're basically trying to do my job for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious. If we could... Say Northern Ireland people of Northern Ireland was to form a constitution so like a say like a bill of rights like a list of inalienable rights that, that we want established regardless of whether you're a unionist nationalist or whatever and that constitution that we come up with is actually the 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 uh, kind of like the prime thing that we that we 
design the future of this country around. So, so that might look like a new Ireland, but it also might look like a, a Northern Ireland that still has access to the United Kingdom's economy. So we still are able to, you know, trade with the United Kingdom and get Again, the benefits of that. Again, like the protocol is. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I would just take it a step further, and I would go. You know, I, I want, I want the Northern Ireland that's that's able to pursue its own political affairs and political interests, but who's also has has access and is able to take advantage of the benefits of the one of the world's largest economies. Um, yeah. So, for example, say drug decriminalisation. You know, I don't want to have to run to Westminster to ask for permission to legalise drugs in my country. I, I think that that's a decision we should be able to make here. And the UK doesn't have to follow us. You know, they, they can they can keep them criminalised. We can continue to use our economy. And, and those are the kind of checks. If there was a decision made in this country to legalise drugs for the benefit of the people here, right? Uh, and the government decided, all right, well, we're going to need to check things then because you now have different... You, you now are legalising things that we don't. I would actually be okay with those checks. I would actually be okay with that because that's a decision that we have made, that we have consented to, and that, and it's all part of the of that decision. It's all taken in. And when you say we, are you referring to the Stormont, uh, the Assembly? Yeah. Here? Yeah. Andrew, that question was for you, I believe. I think it's interesting that because it's not the first time I've come across an argument that it almost sounds like I don't I don't maybe have the terminology right, but it sounds similar to as if. As opposed to Northern Ireland being simply an integrated part of the home countries within the UK, it is, I don't know, the dominion isn't the right word, but it's more of a, more yeah. autonomous, more, it's its own thing, and I think... Well, the way I've always described uh, it is like states in America. So, yes, exactly. It's an interesting idea. I think one of the main roadblocks that comes to it for me and for... Is the, that not what devolution was supposed to be all about? But... <sighs> I, I think... It's hard to talk about what these things were because we know we know that there was a lot of secret kind of deals and negotiations, but it's hard to know what was concessions and what was. Ju- I think that the way the place we're in at the minute is just messy, and none of us really know how it was made or what what the motivations behind it were or or what the point of it was. So so it's hard to it's hard to give it an answer to something like that. I think uh, the only. It's interesting, and I like it. I'm, I'm never going to argue against my own, me and my neighbours having more say for themselves in any context. But I think the main roadblock is that necessarily uh, opposition to unionism isn't always just opposition to the idea of the union or just to Westminster, because I don't think anyone that's a unionist is very fond of London. But I think crucially, it, it's a much more complex and more, as I say, it's it's a harder to define thing because there's so many elements come into it. Like for me, a big part of my move, my opposition to unionism is. How it's run now and the sort of militant uh, disdain for anything that isn't Protestant conservative unionism and that's a big part of it and I think maybe it would be solved by more devolution but the problem is of course that as soon as you start to suggest that Northern Ireland do anything different to London you will have naysayers and extremists saying well look this is part of this is putting us on a path to this that or the other and likewise anything that makes life easier for between us and Dublin is likewise called on the look this is putting us a path for here here and here and I think you know a more of a stronger voice for me and my neighbours of whatever political opinion they have is never a bad thing but the issue is I suppose that the union is much more than just you know political link with the UK I think there's a bigger ideology there that many people are very opposed to would you be a sh- would you be opposed to a shared economy between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom Economy, not not uh, not necessarily uh, like social policies and things and like like laws, but the economy being well, able to trade. 
as I say, I'm defined by sort of the well-being of those and those important to me. So as mm-hmm. I say, for me, if a progressive cause, for example, for example, same, same-sex marriage is something that was very important to me, for example. And say, whatever way someone someone votes, I think I'm often, I could be convinced to vote if there's no voice for me within my own traditional, you know, nationalist yep. uh, politicians that could be convinced over to maybe vote and for someone if they thought to represent that better. I think the best solution is for politics to become about that, about opinions being represented and less about links or spheres of influence and so on. I think just individual mm-hmm. uh, individual policies is the way to go, I think. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're nearly 52 minutes in here. And um, while I could sit genuinely and listen <laughs> to both of you talk away here, um, I'm, I've got maybe five or six more questions here that I want to try and fit in. Just um, What issues are important to young people? that you think are not currently being addressed by politicians, Joe? I think I think the ones... I'm, that I'm sorry, you already mentioned a uh-huh. few of them. Yes. Yeah. No, I think uh, it's the basic stuff. It is things like, you know, they're bored. Kids are bored. Kids are so bored nowadays. You know, parks don't really cut it anymore for young people. We need a wee bit more uh, excitement. People... Otherwise, they do just turn to drugs and things, and and then you get that's kind of why you go into the whole decriminalisation thing because because you know it affects all sorts. Job opportunities is another big thing. For for um, any politician listening to you speak now, Joe, mm-hmm. and let me assure you, there will be plenty listening, even though they're making publicly admitted. <laughs> Give them something tangible that they can do. So I love the way that you phrased that parks don't really cut it anymore. Yeah. Flesh that out a little bit more. All right. I think there's plenty there for the younger age age bracket. You know, there's plenty of youth clubs now. There's plenty of opportunities, we groups, programs. There's there's things that young people can get involved in. I think you kind of start to lose people in them whenever you go into first year. So what's that like 12, 12 to eighteen? So I'm really for them and. Uh, Maybe the answer is school. Maybe the answer is, is tweaking the schools, you know, to give give people more that they can get involved with in school. The problem is, you know, if you have a if you have a flawed school system and kids don't want to be in school, then the solution can't really come from school. Um, so so you get into a hole. You have to fix the schools before you can do that. Um, but but the other thing I would say is, you know, uh, I I don't want to to speak as if uh, you know, I talk for these young people. I would love um. For these unionist politicians to try and help me give my friends a voice mm-hmm. in a way that they're comfortable with, maybe it doesn't have to be publicised. Mm-hmm. But but like I I know my, my mates do care about politics. Now they will swear that they don't <laughs> if I try and talk to and if I if I mention the word politics, they roll their eyes and they shut off. <laughs> but if I frame it in a completely different way, if I say what are the issues that are important to you, what, what do you want? If you could change anything about your country, what would you? Then then their ears prick up. So it's again, it's a bit like what we spoke about earlier. Terminology is important. Yes. Yeah, you can get the same results by maybe going down a different avenue. Just hundred percent. Andrew, can I ask you the same question briefly, if you don't mind? What are the issues that are important to young people that you think maybe are not being addressed currently by politicians? And I don't want to be by some politicians, and neither does anyone oh, in, this com- oh, yeah. in this conversation. It's just that they're the most obvious people that make rules and laws and legislation. Mm-hmm. I think a crucial, crucial one is, uh, I suppose everything ultimately comes down to property and land, but I think the situation in Belfast for accommodation for students is a massive one. 
it's it's a problem down south as well that there is a brain drain of young Wait, people. Are you trying to say that the Holy Lands isn't perfect? <laughs> well, as many fond fond memories I have of that of the Holy Lands, <laughs> I th- I think um, there there is a serious problem that you know it shouldn't be a rite of passage to get higher education in Northern Ireland that you have to live in a dilapidated nightmare of a house under a landlord who messages you once every four months to let you know he's charging you more because you <laughs> chipped a bit of paint. I think. <laughs> People are scratching their heads saying, why don't young people want to stay and invest themselves in Northern Ireland? Why don't they want to make it better? And then they charge them £800 a month for a closet. It's it's bizarre. And I think there's plenty of causes that are very important. And I think a key one to keeping you know young people here is give them somewhere to live outside of their parents' house, even in or out of their own community that isn't going to bankrupt them and can let them live in Northern Ireland and build a life for themselves here without leaving and abandoning it. Guys, again, uh, apologies for the, the slight rush on this um, as we approach the hour mark. There's a famous scene from the hit TV show, The Dairy Girls, where young people are asked the similarities and differences between Catholics and Protestants. What do you think, Joel, are the similarities you have with young people from a nationalist background? I would argue maybe one of the only differences is the fact that we, we have different opinions on where the future of this country should go. And in, in almost every other way, we are young people with problems, with the same problems, because we live in the same country. Um, and that's kind of just what I would say. And that that's why the whole hatred towards each other seems so ridiculous to me. Because that is the... Uh, and in a lot of cases, that might be the only thing we disagree on. So, so why give it so much importance? Andrew, same question. I think uh, being disillusioned with politics, I think just having no notion what to do, maybe knowing vaguely who to vote for, but not really only because you know that there's supposedly no alternative. I think having no real idea of the future or any connection to politics beyond maybe the next few weeks and what you can maybe get done. I think there's a complete detach between politics and young people right now. Joel, do you believe violence was justified by loyalist paramilitaries? Is this in, uh, historically speaking, or just recently? Either. <laughs> Either or. Well, we'll go to Vi- the most... Vi- violence is violent. I suppose. Um, we'll go to the most recent example, you know, was the, the bus getting burnt out over the protocol. Um, my question would be, who did that help? Um, certainly didn't help the, the, the Protestants within the, the community that they burnt the bus, the loyalists within that community, you know, because it was done to their own community. Um... That, that would be kind of my question. Who does this violence help? Whenever the, the, the drug dealers in the East Belfast UVF are going and, and beating children or, or, or whatever or whatever it is, Carvel not to, I don't know, make any false accusations because, you know, they're all about that now, uh, libel laws and all. But, no, there, there's... there's uh, wait. What was the thing again? The question, again, do you believe violence was justified by loyalist paramilitaries? And I also uh. add... Nobody is suggesting, and I'm certainly not, that you speak on behalf of anybody, <laughs> but I'm just looking to hear your opinion. Oh, yeah. Well, well. again, I would just kind of ask, who did it help? You know, I think I have said before, violence can be useful. It was useful for the people in Hong Kong, but it helped the people in Hong Kong. You know what I mean? It, it might be useful for the people who are who are being sent to concentration camps in China. You know, I think it'd be really useful if they were to be violent and, and fight back. But that would help them. If you're going to be violent, you have to ask, who are you trying to help and how is it going to help them? So just before I put the question to Andrew, I'm going to ask you the question mm-hmm. once again, Joe. Do you believe violence was justified by loyalist paramilitaries? 
I, I don't. Okay. Andrew, same question to you, only slightly different take, and again, not suggesting you speak for or on behalf of anyone, but do you believe that violence was justified by Republicans? Well, what I can say is Joel began with people carrying it out now. I don't think so at all. I think anyone today who's in a paramilitary or sadly unless it's young people somehow tricked into joining them, as far as I'm concerned, if you're interested in violent politics in Northern Ireland today, you're an idiot. You, you've, it, it benefits no one as Joel. All it really does is it's a direct damage to your own community and the people you're supposed to care about or the people who you have far more in common with and differences to if you target another community. Uh, historically, I think... Violence is that thing that, it's a word that can't be defined in a single thing. I think it's difficult to say violence is justified here but not here. And I think generally violence overall, it's hard to say an entire campaign is ever justified or individual acts are justified. I think Northern Ireland, as I say in the, um, whenever the conflict broke out, it's difficult to justify. But I don't think that the sheer number of innocent people killed for nothing, I, I, I just say it's very difficult to justify. I can see people say justifying anger and justifying you know, resistance to direct violence from others, but I, I think generally justifying violence is it's a difficult thing to do. And in fairness to Joel Keyes, I think that's what Joel was trying to put across even in our previous podcast and even in other remarks that he made through different various social media outlets. Yep. And I think too what I would say is, and this is what I've tried to drill into the heads of, of the young people that I know, you have to be so careful when you uh, choose to support violence from groups who cannot be held accountable for one reason and one reason only. And, and I'll actually just tell you the story of what happened. So we're sitting and we, we actually witness a house get their windows put in by a load of men in masks, right? And, you know, some people are telling oh, he was a drug dealer, he was this, he was that. It's a good thing. And my point to them is kind of, hang on, what you're doing is not punishing a drug dealer. What you're doing is giving the power of justice to unaccountable people in masks. And in 20 years, whenever it's you that they take an issue with and they come and put your windows in, you have no one to go to. And there's no justification and no accountability. Exactly. I think that's what your main point, no accountability. There has to be accountability. I think that's a fascinating take on it, Joe. And to be honest with you, even for me, and I have got to know you over this period Mm -hmm. of months, I think it was even that's refreshing for me to even hear you totally clarify that mm-hmm. thinking. Guys, um, Andrew, maybe you, in your experience, do you think other people from the PUL community feel the same way as you do? And if so, can you tell me maybe a little bit more about these conversations? And I guess what I really mean by that has gone back to your conversion as you were born um, into a PUL family and brought up in the schooling system and come from that community. So basically, is there other people like you that have went on this conversion that maybe just haven't been as vocal? I don't want to insinuate that there's a you know a hundred thousand sleeper agents out there in the unionist <laughs> community, but I but think you shouldn't have even said that. Uh, yeah. There'll be a million people kicking <laughs> off this That was a Freudian slip. I, I think um, <laughs> there is a lot more dissent than I think people give credit to. I think there is. I've spoken to a great number of people exactly like myself who came from a loyalist upbringing and just couldn't agree with it, especially as they went to university or they travelled and they met new people and they couldn't come home to it. They could not justify it anymore. And there is countless people like that. I think there is, in general, within unionism and loyalism, infinitely more dissent than what 
the parties supposedly representing them would have you think and there's a lot more voices there that are not being heard in general. Joel, are you a lone voice within your group of friends that are actually prepared to look at and discuss all options relating to the constitutional question, either the union or unity? Not at all. Now, my area of interest might be a wee bit wider than, than some other people. Um, you know, some of them might only care about one or two issues, whereas I like, you know, care about the bigger picture. But I'm certainly not uh, alone in my desire to discuss things and to create a, a country and a society where the things that we feel are important to us can be addressed by the people that we elect. Can either of you see a political future for yourselves? And if so, which party? or even as an independent? And I'll go to you first here, Andrew. Uh, as much as I don't want to potentially shoot myself on the foot career-wise, I don't personally see myself going into politics so much. Um, I'm very keen on activism, I'm very keen on campaigning for things that I care about, but politics personally is such a web of maybe inefficiency, maybe you get tied to things that you, you strip you of your voice necessarily, you toe on the party line. I personally, whether it's a matter of a lack of discipline or just disdain for it, I don't think I ever could. Same question to you, Joe. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I have said that whenever I was young and whenever I didn't care so much F about future, my... Future MLS. Future MLS. <laughs> or, or maybe you mean TD, do you? Oh, we'll see. <laughs> Who knows what the title will be whenever I'm, uh, you know, in, if. <laughs> Tell me this, guys. And this is a genuine question, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure one that many of our listeners will be interested in too, or I'm hoping so. Why are you both prepared to verbalise and stand up and, I guess, put forward your views, even if they are unpopular at times within your own community? Um, I think it speaks volumes about your integrity and level of intelligence, to tell you the truth. But I'm interested to hear, hear what, what, what gives you this desire, Andrew? I think it was feeling for so long that I had no voice, feeling that um, maybe the person who I was told represented me didn't at all. And... I just, I couldn't find a voice for myself in the places I expected to and I wanted to maybe carve out my own um, space and I found suddenly that there was a lot of people, maybe not necessarily agree with me completely, but agree with the idea that there is much more to the people in Northern Ireland than people would have you think. I think that sort of cycle of meeting people who have different opinions and having them inform me and me inform them is, uh, it's something I enjoy very, very much and that I... I genuinely just love adding to the conversation. It's something that I'm very passionate about. Same question to you, Joe. Do you want me to read it to you again? Uh, yes, please. Yeah. Um, why are you prepared to verbalise and stand up and put forward your views, even if they are unpopular within your own community at times? I think uh, something that I'm just very aware of is that you're never going to know whether an opinion is popular or unpopular until you express it. So what I focus on is not whether or not an opinion is going to be popular, but whether or not I believe it, and whether or not I think it's uh, honest, consistent, and logical. I guess what I'm really trying to find out here is that it would be so easy for two young men mm -hmm. in the prime of their lives to sit back and let the so-called adults and the men in grey suits deal with their future. I, I absolutely what, wish what, that I what, could. What gives you the... the uh, and sentiment, what gives you the passion to, um, you know, actually have a stake, it seems obvious, in your own future? I think uh, there's, as I say, a feeling that I'm not being, you know, represented or taken care of. I'm sort of, I am just sitting back and letting things happen for me. And I was actually more, 
I meet people here who are marginalized much more so than I because, you know, I've been fortunate in my life to never, you know, beyond a few mean marks, I've never been marginalized, I've never been, you know, I think oppressed is a strong word, but they understand what I mean. There's, for me, I'm as I say, I'm fortunate that um, I've been able to grow up without that, but so many close to me haven't. And if I feel if I feel disillusioned and if I feel left out and alone, I can only imagine how they must feel. And I think that's a huge part of why I, I can't trust people in charge now to just take care of it because evidently they haven't so far. So why would they? Yeah, well, to me, it was pretty much exactly the same thing. Um, I, whenever I was younger, I'd always wanted to leave, go to Italy and ditch. And why Italy though? Because it's beautiful. Because it is beautiful and the people are so nice. Uh, <laughs> But no, it's, that's genuinely true. Uh, all I all our countries are available. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100%. That is genuinely true. And then I, eventually it was just uh, not wanting to leave my friends here. It was, uh, you know, my friends. My I have little brothers and sisters and I can leave all I I can run from the problems all I want. They're still going to be here for everyone that I care about. So to me, like, maybe at least still on the cards. But I, I think <laughs> fixing or trying my best to fix as much as I can here before just ditching is probably, you know, wise. <laughs> well, guys, again, at the risk of sounding patronising, as a 50-year-old man, I swear to God, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think both of you are unbelievable people based upon my conversations with you. Um, obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of your private lives, but from what I have heard both of you saying, um, you know, keep it up, please. Mm -hmm. Okay, coming very close to the end of the conversation, on a slightly more lighthearted note, Andrew, who inspires you in life? I think uh, someone inspires me in life. Maybe it's been said a hundred times, but I think uh, Bernadette Devlin is a figure I've always looked up to and always uh, say I adore. I don't want. I don't want her thinking of any ideas, but I've always thought she's one of the most brilliant people to ever you know, impact politics in Northern Ireland. And her story in general is uh, fascinating. And standing up to that status quo, and you know, looking down the the barrel of people so patronising and so hostile to order and just facing them full on and coming out the other side sparkling I think it was fantastic a good Tyrone woman you say exactly <laughs> Joel Keyes who inspires you in life and why um, but believe it or not a lot of my interest in politics come came from America I used to play a lot of games whenever I was young what not Italy too not Italy yeah no my interest in politics was inspired by, by America because I think the American systems are a lot easier to understand so it's it's a good starting point but anyway no, there's a, there's a YouTuber um, his name's Destiny uh, Stephen something and he's incredibly good at arguing with people and I don't agree with him all the time better than you 100% <laughs> he, he might be one of the best debaters I've ever heard right, okay. now I don't agree with him on everything yeah. um, in fact I think he's uh, on the opposite end of the political spectrum than me but the way he's able to break things down mm -hmm. uh, like to me I respond to that I respond mm -hmm. to arguments and arguments are consists of points and explanations conclusions reasoning and he's very good at that so yeah Andrew, name me one item that will always be in your fridge, no matter what. Oh, I'm a man who uh, like to pretend to live me on my means, so I'm always keen to have a lot of fine cheeses in the house, and I bankrupt myself for a fine set of cheese. That's the one thing I'd always have. Because it convinces me that one day I'll maybe live the sort of life as a man who can go out and say, you know what I fancy? I fancy living a refined life, so I'll move aside my many, many cans of alcohol and all sorts and say, look... There's oh. a good block of cheese. There's nothing <laughs> socialist about that answer. <laughs> so, Keith, same question to you. What one item will always be found in your fridge no matter I will what? die on this hill. Those bounty bars that you get in the selection boxes <laughs> at Christmas. Do they have to be in a fridge, though? 
Well, I'm not going to let them take up room in the cupboards, you know. Stick them in a drawer and leave them there until next Christmas when you take them out just to make room for the new batch, and that's that's all they're good for. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> delighted to ask that question. <laughs> Andrew, water or alcohol? One word answer. Water. Joel Keys, water or alcohol? One word answer. Alcohol. <laughs> Sorry, what is that, Joel? Alcohol. <laughs> I think it said that last time. I can't, I can't swap now. Oh my god. <laughs> Andrew, favourite sport? Uh, rugby. Rugby? Rugby. Joel, favourite sport? I quite like tennis. Italian tennis? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't looked into it. <laughs> what are you joking, Joel? Um, Andrew, best movie? Uh, Ocean's Eleven. Joel, best movie? Oof, I love the experiment, he called it. Okay. Last question, and one that we always ask to all our guests, and one that you've answered previously, Joel, so be careful with your answers here. <laughs> Andrew, if you could invite three people, either alive or dead, to your fictional dinner party, who would them three people be and why? James Connolly, Terry Pratchett, and Bernadette Devlin. James Connolly, Terry Pratchett, Terry Pratchett and, and Bernadette, Bernadette Devlin. Devlin. Okay, why? Uh, well, for Terry Pratchett, I've always loved his books, and I just think he was a fascinating character and a very light-hearted one that can kind of bring joy to anyone who who needs it or wants it. Uh, James Connolly is one of my favourite figures in history, so the, the opportunity to speak to him would be brilliant, of course, as any historian would say. And we're burning that Devlin for the reasons I've just mentioned, because the opportunity to have a conversation with her, I think, would be enlightening. Joel Keyes, same question to you. Uh, I'll give a wee shout out to to my friends. They're the, they're the ones who deserve it most. Yeah, I always talk about them. I always like in every interview I do. I talk about them. They, they really deserve it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so 100. percent uh, There's more than three of them, but there's no one that I could I could exclude from the table. You know something? I think that's a lovely answer. Really. Is. Oh, it's, and, it's and 100 percent right. true. You yeah. always do refer to your friends. I do. And 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 I'm assuming your friends value the decent person that you are. I certainly hope so. <laughs> uh, my, my friends and family are probably uh, raising their eyebrows at me right now, so there's the why I don't want them at my table. But <laughs> They're probably switched off after the first five minutes, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Guys, it's not too often to do this. We're an hour and 13 minutes in here, and um, but I'm going to, just for the sake of it here, um, and as a wee experiment, I'm going to ask both of you, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. both heads are nodding here in agreement, just have a wee yarn amongst yourself for a couple of minutes here, will you? Go on ahead, Joe. Tech, tech started. Well, where do we begin? Here's what. Here, here's what. I, let, give me this. We'll start off here. Say, say, me and you somehow got a call from Al Boris tomorrow, and we have to go and convince him, you know, what to do with the place. He's give up. He can't be bothered anymore. So he just wants us to let him know, advise him. Well, where do you start? Well, I'd ask who's replacing him first of all. <laughs> I would say, who do you want us to bring? <laughs> Well, and I, I'd say, as I say, who who we wanted to bring, and I personally, I haven't a foggy notion who I'd bring in, but I don't know if you've any different opinions on it. I don't know. I, th I think for me, I, I'd love for some of these English English folks to come over for just a day and and, and live with us, like drive about, and have a chat, you know, see, let us tell you about places that we've been, where we grew up. I think that'd be great because then I think even they would see that. that I don't think there really is two sides in this place. There, there's two different. There's, there's two sides in this place because half of them are nationalists and half of them are loyalists in the same way that there's a million sides to everything because everyone's got a favourite colour. Oh, it's like, it's all just opinions. I don't know why we get so heated over things. I think we just plucked them out of Westminster and made them work in the long chippy for a weekend or something <laughs> just to give them some perspective on what real actual people um, 
or like maybe. no cameras <laughs> exactly no cameras Boris has a habit of this doesn't nah, he? he does tell me this guys were you aware of each other or have you ever met prior to this conversation today well i hadn't had the pleasure of meeting but i was i was aware of jewels have said just because as i say i was this i was disgusted at the amount of abuse hurled at, 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 at adam because I think Joel, I said, or you remind me of myself when I was younger a bit because you're caught in a situation where people that are on supposedly your side mm-hmm. are just turning on you because one week you're heralded as look, here's a young man who's active and brilliant and he's he's got his head screwed on and he knows he's doing he's gonna guide us to victory and then you say one thing that they don't agree with and all of a sudden you're the antichrist, they don't want you anymore. Yep. And and that one thing could be being intelligent enough to have a conversation with someone that maybe just doesn't hold the same political aspirations as you? It's crazy to me. And, and the thing that I love about the... Well, there's two things about the backlash. Number one, I, I don't really let it get to me too much because they are a minority. They're a minority of a minority. Like like one of the guys that was slabbering to me, and I, again, I couldn't say this because of the laws and all that, but one of the guys who was slabbering to me under Twitter yesterday is a drug dealer for the UVF, <laughs> right? So so I have no interest in what you, any of them... You mean to say, Joel, that you don't value his opinions? <laughs> I have no interest in what he thinks of my loyalism when, when he's going around ruining the lives of people within my community. And my community agrees. Wow. So, so he can... Absolutely. You know, people like this can say that I'm the one that's causing the downfall of loyalism for Darren to talk with people who I disagree with. These ones are the one dealing cocaine, drugs, to our young people, to making young people run for them. They're the ones who who, who allow their kids and their, their kids' friends to go about and run run places and, 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 I don't know, boss other people about. It's ridiculous. It's ridic- the hypocrisy is, is blinding. I see the self-proclaimed gatekeeper of loyalism, the unelected person that I'm not going to name, he has been giving you a fair amount of criticism on social media any words for him like I think he he's I think the problem is that some people get stuck in, in, a, in a box and I don't think you know people are as bad as they pretend to be but I would say, you know, listen to this podcast. I would say as to any loyal, listen to this podcast, because I have come here. I have tried to sell the benefits of the union. We actually got a wee bit of common ground. So, so I think people think just because I'm here, that means I'm discussing how I want to further the United Ireland cause. I am here talking about how to how to strengthen the union as well. And, and, and to anyone who wants to uh, give me crap for coming and speaking to people from a different background, my question to you is, well, where's the loyalist podcasts reaching out to me? You know, where's the loyalists people going? Because, and I'm not seek like I didn't seek you out. Both times I've spoke to you, you've come I, to me. I've, yeah. So, so people come to me and say, well, here, I'm interested in your opinion. Do you want to come for a chat? Of course, of course I'm going to agree to that. And if loyalism has a problem with the number of nationalists asking for my opinion, maybe they should start asking some questions of their own. And can I just nail on the head and put to bed this fallacy once and for all that I have also seen on social media that I and others potentially are maybe trying to use you in such a way, or anyone like you for that matter, in such a way to reaffirm our um, goal of United Ireland. That is certainly not my aspiration. The reason, and genuine reason, and I hope you know this, Joel, and mm-hmm. I believe that you do, is because I'm interested to hear your opinions, mm-hmm. your thoughts, and I want to hear what your concerns are and what your genuine um, experience from people in your circles are saying which you articulated very well mm-hmm. in our previous podcast and this one about you know I want to understand the thinking that goes on in your community so that I can maybe help mm-hmm. shape things within our community and so that our listeners can say okay 
you know, I can see where Joel's coming from there. Mm -hmm. I can I can see what his group of friends are saying. I wouldn't have thought about that until he verbalised it. So that's my only genuine desire and yep. the shared iron team is for having people like you and others on. Not so that we can say, oh look, we've converted another mm -hmm. one. Absolutely not, because nobody's converted you. You yep. know, by your own admission, you want the union to remain. Who's the person that uses me? Is it the person who invites me onto their podcast and disagrees with me? Or is it the people who, you know, hold me up whenever I'm saying things that they agree with and then, you know, Drop turn you. as soon as... It's just, it's a bit it's a bit crazy to me. It's, I think there's a bit of projection going going on there. Andrew um, and Joel, I'm going to give you just a um, wee opportunity to say your goodbyes. We'll start for you, Andrew. Well, it was a pleasure to be here, as I say, and it was a pleasure to meet you all at last. It's that... As I say, it is always nice to meet people who I don't necessarily agree with on what they call the national question, but that just as a human being and people will both live here and it's it's nice to as I say add to the conversation as it always is. So it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you, Andrew. And last word to you, Joel. Just thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating um, I, I actually went on to your uh, Instagram yesterday and was reading a couple of your things so I think even the fact that this is, is happening has, has already educated me a wee bit more um, and, I, and I hope that you know I was able to I don't know give something of value to you too <laughs> guys um, I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone listening to this um, I certainly enjoyed the last one hour 20 minutes I can't believe it has been that long but they know the old saying, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, can I just get a, a quick um, commitment from both of you that you will definitely come back on again? 100%, that'll be back. 100%. Thank you. Guys, as always, um, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Um, if you have any comments to make on the discussion that you only have to listen to, please feel free to, to do so on the thread underneath. And a like and retweet would be appreciated as always. Take care. Be good. Bye-bye.